everybody i'm peter and i know what i need to do now he's a space whale super fan it's my welcome to rebels rebels the podcast that explores the star wars expanding universe through an episode by episode deep dive into the star wars animated series rebels and at this point our guest needs no introduction really but we just couldn't imagine doing this finale with anyone else it is jonah marie masias how are you doing Oh, man, I'm so excited to be part of this because it's such a momentous episode for you guys. I know. I mean, even if it wasn't the last episode and the momentous occasion that it is, it's a Space Whale episode. We have to have you (laughs) on. Of course. Oh, my gosh. It's mostly just because of the Space Whale thing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how is there no Space Whale plush? Like, how is that not a thing Uh, that I can buy and, like, snuggle up with at night? Like, what is that about? When it appears in the inevitable Ahsoka series, uh, they'll release it. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, did you see at Galaxy's Edge you can buy binders, which are the Star Star Wars handcuffs? But oh yeah, you can't buy. There's like yeah. a million. Like you can't get like yeah, Space Whale. I feel like Loth Wolf. There's nothing like <laughs> Loth Wolf. Like no, but you can handcuff your best friend. Of course. <laughs> For those Star Wars freaks out there. Yeah, I don't want to go down that path right now. <laughs> Let's stay on this path. <laughs> Cool. Let's jump into it. Let's do this. You ready, Mike? I'm ready. Are you ready, Joan Marie? I'm super ready. Well, let's mix up a quick space refresher and recap what happened in episode 13 of season four, Family Reunion and Farewell. While with Price as their prisoner, the Rebels infiltrate the Imperial Command Center at the Capitol, seize control of the control room, and plan to issue an evacuation order for all Imperial forces to return to the Command Center, then launch it into space to self-destruct. So brutal. (laughs) Yeah, I I love that. Um, Rook overhears the plan and warns Thrawn, who tasks him with disabling the planetary shield Callus then issues the evacuation order, and all Imperial forces enter the command center. But before they can launch, Thrawn arrives and positions the Star Destroyer directly above the city. Once Rook disables the shield generators, Thrawn orders the rebels to surrender, or he will bombard the city. Ezra decides to surrender to stall Thrawn, while the rest of the rebels move to reactivate the shields. Thrawn puts Ezra in contact with a hologram of the Emperor. Meanwhile, Mart realizes the plan is in trouble and takes the ghost to enact the backup plan that Ezra has given him by sending a signal over high frequency zero to summon help. As the rebels fight their way through the shield genera- to the shield generator, the Emperor tries to tempt Ezra with the promise to resurrect his parents. Ezra refuses and escapes, while the rebels are able to raise the shield before Thrawn can commence bombardment of the city Zeb is able to trap Rook inside the generator as it activates, killing him. <laughs> killing him. <laughs> Brutal. Um, Gregor is uh, mortally wounded in the fight and dies as well. Oh, man. 
Ezra fights his way to Thrawn and reveals he arranged Mart to call the Purgles, who arrive and destroy Thrawn's fleet. The Purgles then grab Thrawn's flagship and prepare to drag it into hyperspace. Despite pleas from his friends, Ezra decides to stay on the ship to make sure Thrawn is defeated for good, and they jump away. With Thrawn's fleet gone, the rebels proceed with the plan to launch and destroy the command center. Price chooses to stay and go down with it, rather than remain a prisoner of the rebels. Upon witnessing the destruction of the command center, the people of Lothal celebrate, and Hera is confident that they will be able to resist the Imperial attempts to recapture the planet. All right, cut all the way to how many years later? Four or five years later. Mm-hmm. Thanks to the Rebel Alliance's victory at the Battle of Endor, which both Hera and Rex took part in, according to this uh, this epilogue. Uh, no, yeah, epilogue. The feared Imperial counterattack on Lothal never comes, and the Ghost crew go their separate ways. Zeb takes Callus to Lyrasan, to show that he didn't truly exterminate all the Lasat species, <laughs> and that he is welcome there as one of them. Weird. Hera and Rex continue to fight with the Rebel Alliance, and it is revealed Hera gave birth to her and Kanan's son, I think that's indisputable, Jason Sindula. Sabine teams up with Ahsoka Tanu to search for Ezra, leaving behind a mural of the fall depicting the ghost crew. Holy moly, that was just a recap. Beautiful. <laughs> A lot happens. That was um, a I am going to hammer this over and over and over. You're probably sick of me hearing it, but I just love how this culminates with Ezra's sacrifice. And very from the very beginning, he says, I know what I have to do now. Um, he's sacrificing, following the steps of not only Kanan, but his mom and dad, mm. which was a nice touch because we haven't revisited his mom and dad's story and his feelings about that since, what, season two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, and it really ties together. Like he says, literally, I'm finishing what you started. Mm. You know, they sacrificed themselves for what they thought was right. Caden sacrificed his himself for their family, and so he's not only following in his new family's footsteps, but what was laid by his biological family as well. And I just think that is such a very sweet little touch. It is. I also love the line when he says, uh, "I want." I want you to know everything I've done and will do began with you. Mm-hmm. And it just gives me a little bit of hope that whatever he's doing, wherever he is, uh, you know, he's continuing his old family and his new family's work. He started a radio station. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a podcast, <laughs> yeah. if you will. <laughs> yeah, the Ezra and Thrawn cast. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's this lies in what I believe personally about the Jedi philosophy as well, that he's fully grasped this and has embraced it in the idea of you win by not fighting, you win by defending others, you win by laying down your arms. Exactly. (laughs) Saving what you love. That's not fighting what you hate. I, I think that is such a great message for Star Wars and, you know. It's sometimes lost in the laser swords and the blow-ups, but mm. I really like it. It's also a much more subtle ending than, like, um, we killed the bad guys. You yeah. know what I mean? It's uh, I think about my favorite endings of all time, and, like, Avatar is in there uh, <laughs> for the, the, the original series. 
And I love that in the end, Aang just takes away, I forget the big bad. Um, oh, uh, Fire Lord Ozai. Yeah. Yeah. Ozai. He just takes away his bending. Um, so you're not talking about the James Cameron movie? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's not your favorite ending of all time? <laughs> no. Um, it's fine. I feel I'm indifferent. <laughs> uh, and I think this this episode which, which is funny because I, I'm going to admit I think I only I, I have this thing where I, when a series is ending for some reason I don't pay much attention to the last episode <laughs> it's like some subconscious thing where I just don't want it to happen I don't think I had seen the epilogue of this episode that's so weird. Mm. You were so weird. <laughs> um, which is funny because Joan Marie, last time you were on, mentioned Jason Sindula and it confused me. And I'm like, oh, that must have been something that happened off screen. I'm not even going to comment on it. So <laughs> I don't, I don't, oh, my gosh. And I, I specifically asked you about that. I was like, Jason Sindula, what, 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 explain. Um, <laughs> and it's because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't watch the ending of this episode. It kind of ended with the Thrawn and Ezra thing for me. Fascinating. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, we've talked about this on the on the pod before, but I just find it so fascinating and funny is that Mike and I watched Battlestar Galactica when we lived together. We watched every episode together except for the finale because Mike just didn't watch the finale with me and then never watched it again. So he's still never seen how Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) And at this point I don't remember enough of it to watch it. (laughs) So I'm just like, I'll just never see it. Oh, that final episode was rough. And not to go off on a tangent, oh, but really? yeah. Oh, well, there. Then great. Glad I didn't do it. Yeah, it was very weird. <laughs> Emotionally, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I mean, not only did we get the space whales for Jonah, we got we got a one last time going into the vents for Mike. So oh, we're yeah. really knocking the hits out for this one. Did yeah, you guys really keep were. count? We didn't, but they oh, no. I, I, they kind of stopped doing it after season two. Like one yeah. and two, basically, seasons one and two of this show can be summed up into Chopper murders people and Ezra escapes in the vents. Like, <laughs> That's true. Three, yeah. Season three and four, it hits its stride. Yeah, I just I think... like that they couldn't finish the series without one more vent crawl. It's like if you go see Metallica and they don't play Enter Sandman. Exactly. Yeah. Like I also really like how the last time we saw him go into the vent, it was in that Commandeers episode where he's like, "Do I do I really have to?" <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> it's like, I'm a grown up now. <laughs> um. Yeah. There's just so many cool things that happen in this. I mean, do you want to talk about Hot Palpatine and that whole? arc right there oh yeah yeah this is i mean this one is so there's so much that happens should should we just take it chronologically so we can hit everything i mean it's sure yeah i don't know sorry there's just so much (laughs) no yeah that makes sense because there are little there i was actually when rewatching the episode i thought man there's a lot of great lines Mm -hmm. and little moments that happen throughout this episode um, one of them being, you know, right after that whole Ezra and his parents thing is uh, Price and being hauled over by by Callus and Callus being all, you know, the day that I betrayed the Empire, I, I no longer betrayed myself or something to that mm-hmm. extent. Um, and of course, the Lothwolf being there to to convince her to the, to work <laughs> with them. <laughs> yeah, I think it like it is really fun and I'm. I'm surprised because rewatching it, I I remembered a great bit of this series finale, but like 
I couldn't imagine how they were going to fit everything in because we were yeah. like 20, 30 minutes into this episode. So I'm like, much. wait, they still have to do this. They still have to do this. They still have to do this. How are they <laughs> going to get it all in? Yeah. But they do. It's really actually a very impressive finale. They tied up a ton of loose ends and gave people moments to shine. Um, I thought they did a really good job with this. So that's one of, I, I largely agree. One of my questions is, was I don't know. Was there wasted action in this? Um, I'm trying to articulate this thought. There was the first half was a lot of unnecessary action. Maybe. Oh, I see. Because then they have to backtrack with Thrawn coming in to. Yeah. It's the whole, the the whole, the shields, the, the, uh, there, there, I don't know. There, it felt a little, uh, it was it was to get everyone in the same place. It was it felt like a, well, a plot to get everyone in the same place, and it ends really well for me. But I, I, I don't know. I'm on the fence about wh- how well it worked from start to finish. Got it. I don't yeah, know. I could see. See, I don't. I don't even think this episode's about the action. If anything, like I, I think I'm picking up what you're what you're throwing down, but. I think the feeling is the actions are just transitions to make it believable that like, because I found it really shocking and like really built a lot of tension when Thrawn was bombarding the city around everyone. Mm, And that triggers Ezra to give himself up. And like, I thought like, the Hondo and Melch thing was touching and fun. And we had to wrap up Ruck's character arc. And like, we wanted to see one last time of Zeb, like being heroic and Gregor falling, like all these things that happen because they're in that fight in the engine room or whatever it is, or the shield room. So I think the fighting is just like, well, we got to get them to these positions in order to have those moments. And, you know, they're not just going to be able to walk into the dome. They're going to have to fight their way in. They're not going to be able to just walk to the shield generator. Like, they have to fight their way in. That's fair. So, I think it's definitely secondary. Like, I don't think the action is a highlight of this episode at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that's where I was kind of poking is it it was so secondary. It was a vessel for for these moments. Um, Yeah. And... Often we often in shows like this we lean on action as the vessel. Yeah. Um, so it was more a question around that, but I agree with you. I think I think that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I didn't. I don't write my notes chronologically anymore, so I might bounce around a little <laughs> bit. So apologies. <laughs> um. But I do kind of want to talk about hot, hot Palpatine because after Ezra. <laughs> Yeah. What? <laughs> I mean, comparatively speaking, 20. I'm not saying like he's at hot callus levels. I'm just saying compared to where he was before. It is really funny. It's really <laughs> funny. He turns around with that goofy smile. It's like what's weird is what's weird is he looks great and his teeth look terrible. Did you notice that? I was like, ooh. There's just some things you can't fix in the future. Uh, apparently, Star Wars, I guess. Apparently, dentistry is not a part of Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's uh I don't think it's everyone has access to it. <laughs> yeah, even at the top. Yep. Um but this whole this whole mechanism with him finding part of the Jedi Temple and still being able to access what we 
likely the world between worlds. But he needs Ezra to be kind of the conduit to open the door for him, mm. um, which I think is really interesting really in the interesting. way that he lures Ezra into it by seeing his family, seeing what could be if if Ezra makes the choice to change the past yeah. in a certain way, he could have his family back. And I just found that very touching, and I just love... The, again, I just love how he's able to let go, and I yep, love how yeah. he's able to realize that it's not the right choice and shove it in Hot Palpatine's face and make him <laughs> ugly again. Yeah, it works. Um, I love how reminiscent that scene was of Luke entering the cave, yep. or even Ray entering mm-hmm. her own version of the cave, and how they're in a way he was being tested to see whether everything that he's learned, he's able to actually. Um, you know, practice it in that moment. Mm. And, and he did. Um, yeah. But do you guys think, and this is a question that I still ask myself, like, do you think what what he was seeing was an actual reality or was yeah. that just a trick on Palpatine's part? Oh, perfect segue. Um, I, I almost feel like it was like in Harry Potter, they have the mirror of Erised. Is that what it's oh, called? Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah, the mirror of Erised. Yeah. And I, I almost wonder if it's something like that. Like the thing you see is the, you know, like the deepest desire of your heart. Like, oh. um, it, because, and it feels like, it feels like this maybe isn't the first time Pem, uh, Palpatine has pulled this trick. <laughs> and like, yeah. uh, so he's, he's kind of set it up to be like working for anyone he needs to. So it's just kind of showing those things. And I think he knows for Ezra what it is, or he can see it too or something. I don't know. But I I, I think it this scene really works. And I love that. Like, if if you think about that comparison to Harry Potter, because um, I feel like so much, know, there's just so many similarities. Um, Ezra is at such a perfect time in his life not to get lost in this, whereas opposed to, it, it's a beautiful, just, it's, sorry, it, it shows how well he's matured as a character this moment. Because mm-hmm. had this happened at almost maybe any other season one, two, three point, he probably would have ga- given in. Um, yeah. And I think it's just such a cool device to show how much he has grown as a character and how much his arc is really. Right. Um, yeah. I've heard the argument that, you know, we saw Kanan get captured and, and die and not die, but like almost die in that, you know, that first season finale. Um, but I still don't think Ezra would have been able to let go at that point. Like, mm-hmm. obviously he didn't because he went as far as to tell uh, Vizago that he and, and Kanan were Jedi in order to get the information that he needed. So yeah, he was very desperate, not wanting to let go. So I, I, I could understand why they had to repeat similarly that storyline of Kanan being in a situation where he's not able to get out of and and Ezra using that as a way to you know learn from his master so yeah I oh man I didn't think about the mirror of Erised that's brilliant (laughs) yeah actually I like that a lot because my original thought I interpreted it as it was access to world between worlds and um Ezra could make that choice to try to change it, but I think I like that interpretation a little bit better because, especially with Jonah Marie bringing up the the cave on Dagobah, because that wasn't reality when Vader showed up in that cave. It was testing yeah. Luke and what yeah. Luke needed at that point. Yeah. And we talked about this a lot in our World Between World episodes is that maybe Palpatine fundamentally misunderstands the Force 
and fundamentally misunderstands the world between worlds. And it's not necessarily something you can use as a weapon Mm -hmm. in order to literally change the past, but it kind of brings the force brings you where you need to be and challenges you and tests you and says, gives you the knowledge to make the right decisions. Right. And so I think in Palpatine's head, he thinks it's literally a door. Once Ezra goes through it, he'll like, snatch Ezra and kill everyone and then now he has power to do whatever he wants but I bet if that happened he would be disappointed because that's not actually the mechanism of what's going on I think he's being tested just like in the Dagobah cave and he makes the right decision Mm -hmm. so what what happens if he's if he makes the wrong decision in that in the scenario hypothetical um yeah I was thinking about I don't know that arc with yoda way back in clone wars where he travels to that nexus point or whatever it was and he sees i forget his name now but the guy who commissioned the the army the clone army trapped yeah. underneath that cave and like it was all an oh, illusion Sifo-Dyas. yeah yeah Sifo-Dyas. so like it was all an illusion but at the same time it wasn't it was very odd <laughs> but yeah. i feel like if ezra had had gone through with opening that i i I feel like he would have entered a different plane of existence or maybe not just like another point in in where um what's his name palpatine is and then he'd be like in a cell of some sort Mm -hmm. like it was just a transportation mechanism for him to open give him access but also transport him somewhere else very weird like (laughs) yeah high level like if you look at it i think the key is when you make the wrong decision, you're, you're making the selfish decision. Yeah. And we've seen in Star Wars, when you make the selfish decision, it leads to suffering. So I don't know literally what would happen. Like, will he actually see his parents? Will he get transported to a cell? Will Palpatine just, like, come in and, like, force electrocute him? I don't <laughs> know. But, like, you know, we've seen that... Yoda urged them not to go to Malachor, to let that go, to sacrifice wanting this weapon to try to kill the Sith, but they were too yeah. stubborn to do that, and once they did that, it led to all all this cascading things of suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, I think, I don't know what would literally happen in that moment, but I think it would have probably led to Ezra's downfall in one way or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it would have, sadly, it would have been a huge disappointment because of you know, that's the reason why Kanan was in the position that he was in. And so for his Padawan mm-hmm. to fall like that, it's just like he, did, he didn't learn his lesson, that one last lesson. And that's just so sad to think about. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I almost, uh, and I almost think maybe he just had he given in, just would have almost lost his mind a little bit. Like yeah, he, he would have been just living in a reality that wasn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a fun little Easter egg and this, this, I just like the idea that the computer models are literally just like dolls that they're playing with, but they didn't have time to model hands for Palpatine. So they just stole the hands off the Tarkin model. So <laughs> Palpatine right now is using Tarkin's hands, which is kind of creepy. That's awesome. <laughs> I, also, I do love that flashing when he goes between you know the the image that he likes to present himself <laughs> as and, and yeah the uh the hooded figure that was really cool effect totally yeah and i like that too because it ties back to we talked about this when and way back in season one we saw uh palpatine giving a speech over the holonet and palpatine was doing it as hot palpatine so like <laughs> 
I think he's he doesn't want to show his true self to to the galaxy, and so I like that he's still trying with like the kindly grandpa look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I also didn't remember these red troopers. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely forgot about them at one point, and they're and the little little weapons. I don't even know what they are. <laughs> they're yeah. like staffs. <laughs> I have no idea what those things are. They seem way too overpowered. Those need to be nerfed. <laughs> yeah, that seems yeah. like a wild technology to have. I looked at so they're called force pikes, but okay. they they don't have anything to do with the force. Okay. They just can like I think Good. they said it was mag- magnetically like make people like control them but like i don't know what it has to do with magnets it's weird yeah I don't, oh man imagine if they use the, like the iron in your blood sort of like oh, like blood bending <laughs> although exactly it's not really iron it's just, yeah it's just yeah. weird it just seems <laughs> it seems like a tool that they've introduced it, it felt a little sloppy honestly it was like it seems like you need to raise the stakes at the end here and so you found a you created a weapon just for this moment but is this weapon ever going to be created again? <laughs> so we've seen this weapon before. What? We've just never seen it used. It's so just, that's so why I was confused. Is I was like, I don't know what these things are, but they're the Royal Guards from Return of the Jedi. Just in Return of the Jedi, they have capes on. They're those that's red right. guards that are in Palpatine's chamber. What? Well, it's sort of like uh, like those, I forget what they are now, those pens that they have, the Imperial, <laughs> I call them pens, <laughs> but they're actually those code cylinders yeah, the that code they cylinders. use. Like they, totally. We didn't know what that purpose was until Rebels showed us in action what they were. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> These weapons are literally like the pikes that we see in Return of the Jedi. We just never see them. I think the guards like just leave the room in Return of the Jedi, so we never see them. And so this is what they actually do. They're like vibro pikes, but they also have this ability to kind of like trap people. Yeah. Um, and I did a little research on them um, because I do think they are cool characters. Um, they are royal guards, and the design for the Imperial Guards seem to be based on their appearance from the Legends comic series Crimson Empire, um, with the armor being based on a character from that comic book named Kerr Kanos. And I liked, there are two notes that I liked, is that pretty much Palpatine was like, these guys are wusses, why do I even need them? Like, mm-hmm. I, could, I could kill them all, so why do I need guards? Mm-hmm. But he... Um, he liked the appearance of having the guards around. Yeah. Like it just, it just for projected sure. strength. Yeah. And also it was handy because if some trouble went down, these people could take the person down and he wouldn't have to reveal his Sith powers. Yeah. So it was kind of a good cover, even though Palpatine was like, I could kill these weenies. Yeah, um, makes sense. And then one last note that I liked is they said qualification qualifications for joining the guards ranks include strength, intelligence, and loyalty. Candidates for the guard had to meet a basic height requirement of 1.83 meters. So I like how you could be the most strong, intelligent, and loyal person, but if you're 1.73 meters, they're like, nope, you're not tall enough. Maybe maybe it was a uniform thing. Like, we've only made certain uniforms. (laughs) Yeah. Or it's like you're a model. Like, you have to be over six feet, or else it's just like, uh, you're not hot enough. Well, sure, that makes sense. If he's using it for appearance sake. Yeah. I guess you don't want to... You know, you don't want a short. You don't want a short guard. What does that yep. mean? What does that say? Yep. And then these guards eventually they they evolve into the guards we see in the throne room in the Last Jedi as well. So the the vibro pikes they have have also evolved into like vibro spears and whips and things like that as well. Oh. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. 
Um, so also I think we need to touch on the deaths in this episode. Gotta pour one out for our boy Ruck. Ooh. That oh was yeah. A brutal one. <laughs> was, yeah, I didn't expect that to happen given the whole legend story of yeah, him right? killing Thrawn eventually. So I thought he was going to stick around for much longer. Me so it was too. surprising to see him get taken out. Although in Star Wars it appears that people don't actually die. <laughs> They just come back some That's somehow. True. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also thought like that was that seemed awfully brutal to be like he'll call you right back. Oh, never mind. <laughs> oh, he won't that, call you back. I thought that was pretty funny because he was barbecued to death. <laughs> <laughs> some great dark humor. I know. Oh, I thought that no, I thought funny. it was great too. I just thought it was a little dark. He'll call you back. Oh, yeah. Mm, he won't call you back. I thought that was good. <laughs> yeah, but pour one out for Ruck. Yeah. Um, also, another fun little Easter egg is those electric generators with like the the red lightning. Yeah, are the same ones that Han and Chewie and everyone try to blow up in Return of the Jedi on Endor. Mm. Um, they have that like shield generator thing, yeah. and I didn't know that in Return of the Jedi those were made. The model was made from stacks of red Solo cups that were painted. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So next that's time you funny. watch Return of the Jedi, it's super obvious when you see it now. Wow. Oh, that's funny. I'm going to look out for that. Yeah. And then pour one out for Gregor as well. Ah, oh, so sad. Yeah. I thought this one was a little bit, like, it's it's a little weird to me that they didn't actually show, like, the death. They just made it very clear that Gregor died. But I feel like you didn't actually see him die. Or did I just miss it? No, he got he got shot, and so he's like trying to do as much as possible before he eventually lies down, mm-hmm. and uh, and Rex is with him, and he's holding his hand, and I I love that line that the where that he basically says it was um, great to finally fight for something that we chose because mm. they never had a choice to to fight in the the previous war hmm. but this is something that they had chosen to do yeah. and he's he feels honored to do that that was, uh, that was so beautiful <laughs> so sad yeah and i think sad. that's another one of the closures that i like is that dave filoni managed to in a way close the entire clone arc with that yeah. especially thinking about what's going on with these three troopers and how they mm. took the chips out of their head and they were they they became woke about how like <laughs> they're being used by the man yeah. and they lived on the Jupa planet forever, just kind of being bitter about that. And they finally got one last time to, you know, choose to mm. support a cause. And I just, I, I think that was a really nice line too. Yeah. Melch was another close call. Uh, Although geez. I don't know. I feel like it took away some of the heavier things that were happening with uh, Ezra and uh, and yeah. Gregor. Yeah, so it was like, yeah. it was funny. But at the same time, I was like, was this really all that necessary? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it was, yeah, like it was, yeah, maybe, maybe it didn't work. It was, it was funny enough though, I suppose, but it was, yeah. what was weird was he gets thrown at the, like the glass ceiling, and what was weird is the everyone inside starts shooting at him, but they must know that they can't penetrate that, so they, yeah. just, they just look like idiots. I know. <laughs> I think that's the point. I think they just forget in the heat of the moment. And so you 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 do things that you're not supposed to do. At least you should know that you can't do. <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. And what's I'm having I'm having a brain fart. What's what's Melch's species? Oh, Ugnot. Uh, Ugnot. Yeah. 
And so I also, this is a dumb thing when, he, when he's flying through there and he goes, they, they do fly. fly. So in, yeah. in Star Wars, the saying is, yeah, when Ugnaughts fly. <laughs> so silly. <laughs> it's very silly. Oh, that was great. I kind of do it, agree, like, in contrast to the other endings, like, it, it did kind of take away a little bit of it, but I did find it funny. And the thing that I, I, it did impress on me is just, I really love the evolution of Hondo. Yeah, and so yeah. that part I thought was really nice because <laughs> he not only did he go from being an extremely annoying character to a much loved character, yeah. in my opinion. But you know he's a big softy now, and that's a fun that's a fun way to be if you're Hondo. Yeah, Hondo has so many layers because when we first see him in Clone Wars, he's such a. A, you know, like a morally gray, a, you, mm-hmm. you questionable character. Like, is this guy really going to sell these kids to <laughs> force <laughs> slaves? Like, yeah. you can't really know for sure. But I guess when he's like down in his luck and whatnot, he has a different side of him that Ezra can particularly tap into. And so, yeah, it was nice to see a gentler side to Hondo. Um, and I will always forever love that line when he says uh, something about how for, for that boy, there's nothing I will not do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just glad it wasn't as Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Because that's that would have been too much. Hondo, I, I agree with you both. I, I He's grown as a character. Mm-hmm. But as Morgan, it's too far. Nope. <laughs> would not have not have enjoyed that. Yeah. Um. Now I think we got to get to the to the highlight of the episode. Uh-oh. And if I'm correct, I think I've only been bleeped one other time on this podcast, and it was talking about the exact same thing. But I remember my specific reaction when this happens, and I literally said out loud to myself, "Space whales, fucking space whales!" <laughs> <laughs> like, dang it! Now I need to like space whales. Because I was one of those people that after the call, I was just like, what is this? Why is it in here? Oh, my gosh. And then this happens. I go, dang it. I like space whales. You did it, Filoni. Yeah. <laughs> Ballsy. I mean, I know. redeemed. Uh, I Yeah. I'm just impressed, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly, like, I remember the first time I saw it, I didn't know what to expect. Like, I had no idea who who it was that they were contacting on mm-hmm. Frequency Zero. So it was, I was completely shocked to see that it was the <laughs> Purgle. And I remember actually jumping off of my my couch seat <laughs> and, and screaming because I thought, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Because it really, it really reinfor- reinforces the idea, the fact that, you know, things are sometimes introduced with a purpose. And we might not see it right now, but we mm-hmm. could see it later on down the line. Um, and sometimes it's really hard to see it. Like there are a few things in the Mandalorian where I was just like, mm, I don't see it. <laughs> I hope this gets touched on later on. But it really, mm-hmm. it really felt awesome to see the Purgle in this particular episode. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love the, um, I think one thing that Lucas introduced that I'm a big fan of and it's pretty common is the whole idea of nature versus machine kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And given Ezra's, you know, attu- attunement to, uh, I don't know, to the natural world and to animals. I, I, it's just, it's, it's pretty perfect. Yeah, exactly. 
And I'm sure like you've seen this, but I also think it's very fun that when Bendu meets Thrawn, he tells Thrawn, I see your defeat. Yeah. Like many arms surrounding you in a cold embrace. Yeah. <laughs> and that's literally what happens. Yeah. Many arms in a cold embrace <laughs> when, surround when Thrawn. When did that happen? The Bendu quote? It was the when they evacuate Chopper Base. Yeah. What season um, is that? Zero, zero hour. Zero end of season hour. three. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So they. He's bum, bombarding they, it. So yeah, like, they, I they, think that also lays down like. They really. Only playing the long game, man. Yeah. It's very clear. I like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought that was cool. I, I don't think we ever saw these giant Porgil, which were very Whoa. impressive as well. We only saw the little the little ones in the call. Um, mm-hmm. They're yeah, just straight up just ramming Star Destroyers out so of the sky, good. which is nuts. Yeah. I also love how Thrawn, you know, he he's obviously a really good chess player. <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. he knows where to put his pieces, and it's all a game to him, um, a chess game to him. So he knows how to find those weak points and take advantage of his other player. But uh, when it comes to the Force, he just he can't at- anticipate yeah. what to do when yeah. when the Force is involved. So I'm curious how his story will play out further down the line, yeah, especially too. with Ezra being a Force-sensitive character. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, and I'm also curious what you guys, I don't know whether you've read Thrawn. I know I, I haven't, I haven't read those books, but I do know that the way Thrawn is portrayed in the books is very different to how Thrawn is portrayed in the show, um, where he's more calculating and more callous. Whereas in the books, he's more of a, there's a, there's a reason why he is the way that he is and he mm-hmm. and his people are, are elaborated more and mm-hmm. I'm just curious what you guys think of Thrawn overall. Yeah. I read I read the first book um the and yeah, I I like Thrawn. I he doesn't feel I I don't feel him much different in the show than I do in the book. So it it feels, I and mean, yeah, you get way more background on him, right, mm-hmm. from the books and his culture and his people and where he comes from. And you get, I think, what you miss in the show that you really get in the books is how much of a warrior he really is. Yeah, um, because he is. He's he's a he's an amazing warrior, but that intelligence um, coupled with it is like what, what makes him so unique and dangerous. Um, and you don't really get the warrior piece here because what you get is, well, he's he's made his way through the ranks and now he is, you know, a, a, an officer. So you don't see that uh, that warrior side as much. But I, yeah, I love Thrawn. Yeah, that's a great. I, I never associated that word with him, but now I, I definitely see it. Yeah, he is. I mean, gosh, just the way he was raised and what he went through. Um, yeah. Can't, he comes from a warrior culture in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't read the book, so I may be speaking a little bit out of turn. But I have read a, quite a bit about Thrawn's background and what happened. And so, from what I understand, the the Chiss were not super technologically advanced. Yeah. Um, they were more in touch with nature, and Thrawn came from a poor family as well. And they faced a threat that was kind of an existential threat that they couldn't deal with. So Thrawn kind of used the Empire when he made contact with with them to um, protect his homeworld. 
Yeah. And so to me, the allegory is more of like, yeah, he's, you know, someone who comes up from a really hard place where there's a lot of crime and there's a lot of danger and they kind of have this shell to protect themselves. Mm. Um, and so maybe in the book you're able to flesh out a little more about the struggles and kind of where he comes from. But now we've seen him at a point where he's been kind of just part of the machine mm. and he talks about it. I like what you're saying about how he doesn't understand the force. He literally says in this, like, I don't really get the force. Like, I don't know why the Jedi just didn't use all that power to destroy everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think he's just, he's become completely hardened at this point. Mm. And it, it was a great opportunity for Ezra to speak up and, you know, show mm -hmm. his teachings. Cause he goes on to say that, you know, the force isn't a weapon, which he's right. And, and I love that you can see Ezra's growth through that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. We've gotten to this point already where he sacrificed himself. Space wells have come and they are mm -hmm. eventually rising the dome up into the sky with all of the Imperials trapped inside. Um, I thought there were a couple notes that I saw in this that I thought were really nice is first of all, did you notice that when the dome is rising, first of all, this is, I thought it was a gorgeous shot, but it was the first time we've seen blue skies on Lothal. Oh, wow. No. Ah. Oh, I didn't notice that detail. Yeah, evidently Dave Filoni had a rule that Lothal would never have a blue sky under Imperial rule. So this is the first time it like it rises above the pollution level and you see a little bit of blue at, mm. up top. And so mm. then it blows up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Killing thousands. Yeah, <laughs> oh that gosh. was that was interesting. <laughs> Raining yeah. body parts on the city. <laughs> Again. Well, this is going back to my core of I'm pro empire and <laughs> Oh, it's funny because I, I originally thought that it would had happened over the city, but I, I believe Rex says something about it being over the sea. Yeah, you're that's right. behind it. So thankfully, it didn't so rain. Just rain the body. Ocean with body parts. <laughs> oh my god! How many? Oh, yeah. How many? How many people were in there that just died? How many souls would do we just lose? I'm gonna look up how many people the dome can be <laughs> because <laughs> that was again. I think the rebels at, at this, like, I would love to see a running death toll between how many Imperials have died and how many civilians and rebels have died in the, in, you know, the span of all of this. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting moral conversation to have because, you know, those people were, Technically, stormtroopers were, um, they were, um, they joined the Empire because, you know, they either saw this as an opportunity to get out of the home world yeah. or situation that they were in or because yeah. they fell for the propaganda and they thought yeah. they were bringing order. So, you know, these people technically might, were just following orders, yeah. but then there's the whole uh, you know, the whole thing with the clones, like a good soldier follows orders, but to what extent? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. Cause I, yeah, it's, it's a good point. And I, th I think about, um, the Claudia Gray book, um, lost stars and to your point about, you know, some people just escaping to a better life and these two kids kind of totally doing that. And when you're raised yeah. around something and a belief system, you just, it's hard to question it from within mm -hmm. when it's all you know. And so <laughs> part of this is terrible. Part of me wonders if it, with this, is it is it almost just a numbers game? If it's like, if you have, you know, 
a hundred people who believe one thing and it's, but it's, you know, it's maybe it's wildly wrong to what you believe. And you have 10 people who believe the opposite. Is it, is it, is it better to, mm-hmm. to annihilate those a hundred? So those 10 can have their way or to <laughs> I, like, I, I don't You're know. Right. It, yeah. That's it, basically what it you know comes down to. And I'm, I'm just wondering how many, so I'm like, how many people have been lost in all this? It's wild. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. The the rebels thought it was a it was a hard decision to do to make, but it was one that they had to in order to get their planet back because they didn't have the resources to actually take everyone as prisoners and try to convert them or, or you know see their side of the story. Yeah. And so you know you have to in this case go to the extreme. And you know what would these people do? They they would essentially uh annihilate there were killing the planet um you know Mm -hmm. the civilians directly but they could have come to the point where they could use something like i i I forget what it is like base delta zero whatever that was where they could incinerate a whole planet yeah um or alderaan is another example um so hmm, it's tough (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm trying to frantically Google how many people were on the dome, but oh, I don't think it. I can't yeah. find a number of how many people it could house. It was definitely a lot for sure. Usually, Wikipedia says like what the occupancy of buildings and ships are, so I think the man's covering this one up for the rebels. Oh wow, it's a conspiracy. We got Department of Truth on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Another fun touch that I really liked is that you know you don't really think about it, but I love how Lothal has a cultural look. Yep. Even though it's mostly humans, there, there's a lot of other species in there as well. But, you know, when the crowd gathers and starts cheering, they look like they're from Lothal. Like, I feel like you would see someone <laughs> off of on another planet and be like, hey, they're probably from Lothal. Yeah. And I think they, that's good storytelling. They did a good job of that. Oh, man. When they're back on Lothal and it shows, like, the stormtroopers kind of, like, coming out of whatever area they're in. And yeah. it's there's the citizens like holding weapons and there's just this one lady holding a gun. She just does not look like she knows what she's doing with that gun. <laughs> no. Like it is. You know, let's go. Oh my gosh. Put that down. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think if I remember correctly, I believe that's the same character, if not the same character, same model that they used when Ezra had spoken um, through that radio frequency or whatever it was back in season one. She's one of the characters that you see listening to it. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Um, Do you want to move on to the epilogue or do you have other things in the actual episode you want to talk about first? Yeah, I don't know. We're letting go of of Ezra, huh? I mean, should we talk about... Uh, let's we'll save it for the Sabine and Ahsoka. Yeah, I have a little more to talk about with Ezra, just thinking about what's going on. But we could touch on that in that blog. Yeah, let's touch I think on that. one thing that I really loved about uh, Ezra and Sabine, um, in you know, in the main part of the episode, mm-hmm. was just like their silent communication and knowing what it is that the other one is thinking. And I absolutely love that because obviously they started off <laughs> on, the, on the wrong uh, foot earlier back in season one. But I, I just love how much they've grown together to yeah. the point where no words are needed in order yeah. to get the message across. Yeah. They, yeah. They're, their relationship is, is really interesting. Um, and I wonder... Like, were you surprised? Was anyone surprised by 
how close they were at the end or did it feel natural i think it felt natural but that's okay. just me because i i, I adore them <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah I, I don't know why I, I i just never really picked up on how close they were um it it, it, yeah, I mean, it felt very like sibling esque to me. Yeah, if like, that makes sense. Like, okay, yeah. yeah. And I think Dave Filoni touches on this in Rebels Recon a little bit. Is like, you know, the natural inclination is you see a boy and a girl and they're the same age, so everyone just wants to ship them. Yeah, but, that's you right. You know, like <laughs> yeah. they're they're closer in another way. They're family. Like, and so like I could see, I could see because they kind of get on each other's nerves and quit like argue and stuff like that we see that a lot more but when it really comes to time to you know to get off the pot they're like they don't they're close enough that they can kind of communicate and she'll cover for him and she'll do that um and i mm. i love that the very first thing is that ezra says i know i can count on you yeah and he knows kind of he sees what's gonna play out and she's part of it. And I think that's very nice because I, I do think they, they are close in that way. And it was a nice touching way to kind of close the button for now. Close yeah. Yeah. I do like the fact that, you know, the, the friendship comes first. Like that's obviously mm -hmm. something that I, I like seeing that because it's important to highlight the various type of relationships you can have between a man and a woman. So mm -hmm. I, I do like that, that friendship. Then I hope we get to see it whenever we get to see that other part of the story. Um, but of course that little part of me is like, you know, mm -hmm. I do see them together in a way, especially mm -hmm. when we dive into the epilogue. Cause I, I love highlighting like the little, the little things that I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's going to go down that way. Um, but if not, I totally, I love their, their friendship. Yeah. I mean, and I love, I'm, I, I I'm so pro friendship and like anti romance and it's just like <laughs> a personal choice. Like that's how I like my stories, but even even on the sibling friendship level, I I guess their paths just felt so different to me. They uh, so much of Sabine's was uh, you know about Mandalore, and uh, her arc was about you know her family and um, kind of coming to terms with that and those relationships. And I, I, their paths just felt so divergent throughout this series, especially in the last two in the last two seasons, seasons three and four they felt so far apart to me that mm. um yeah they i i like i Ezra felt way more close to like an Ahsoka so i love that she's in the end there because i think the way he's str struggling with the force and his proximity to it and this whole idea of being a jedi um he felt really in touch with Kanan and Ahsoka and um these kind of characters. So I, I guess I, I never picked up on how close they were. So when this whole thing of like, you know, you know what to do, this kind of the, or, or what's the statement between them at the end? Oh, I can count on you. Yeah, I can count mm -hmm. on you. It's, it was like, Oh, I, I was a, a little thrown off by like, Oh, okay. Yeah. They're, they're closer than I know. Yeah. I, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cause on a, I think the common denominator for them is, that they both have a planet that's being ruled over by the empire and Sabine's situation is that she sees her planet not being able to ever recover. Whereas mm -hmm. Ezra's planet does have a chance. 
And I think that's why I really like the idea of her being on Lothal, because mm. this is not only her opportunity to fulfill that promise for Ezra, but it's also that opportunity for her to see a planet actually grow back to what it once was. Um, because mm. Mandalore will never, <laughs> I don't think mm. Mandalore will ever be that ever again. Um, maybe somewhere down the line, but she's not going to be alive to see it. Yeah. So I, I, I think uh, I think a lot of the things, a lot of, and they also had a lot of missions together where you get to see them bonding. Um, so so the that particular line, I, I definitely saw the foundation for it. But I can also see how it, it come out. It comes off as like, well, I didn't, I didn't actually see that happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I agree. But what? <laughs> <laughs> I also want to call out two metaphors that you made up, Peter. Which was once they get off the pot and close the button. <laughs> yeah. Well, getting off the pot, that one I didn't make up. I just didn't complete it because <laughs> it's a little bit. It's a little bit PG thirteen. <laughs> And I think close the buttons a thing. I'm thinking like a shirt button, but I I might have just made that up. Okay. Like, a, is it in a, in a tea fueled <laughs> frenzy of caffeine and chai it. spice? I love it. I love it yeah. regardless. Man, you're on a chai spice kick these days. I know. I got this. I got this wow. double spiced chai, and it's it's beautiful. Wow. I've been, that's my new podcast tea. Wow, that's awesome. I just had a dirty chai for the first time, which sounds Ooh, weird. It's, it's but good. It's chai with a shot of espresso. Woo. Ooh. Yep. That is great. delicious. Sorry. This conversation actually might be a good transition into the epilogue because <laughs> what we were talking about is, I just wanted to bring up, have you heard the theory about Sabine already appearing in Mandalorian season two? Oh, gosh, no. no. I saw that and I thought, <laughs> no. <laughs> Stop. We've already seen her. And I don't I don't think it's true. Is it because no, she's a girl not. Mandalore and that's all? Honestly. And they're like, we have one girl Mandalore. It must be her. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean maybe it is true because this does kind of seem like a felony thing that would come up. But I really want to get get Jonah Murray's reaction to this. But for Mike to fill you in and any listeners that don't know is, if you notice in a couple episodes on the on Moff Gideon's cruiser, there is a character who is played by Katie O'Brien, mm. who has appeared on a show called Z Nation, and she's a trained martial artist. Okay, um, so she is kind of an established actor. But also, they don't give her a name. Even in the credits, she's not named. But the camera weirdly lingers on her, and she has lines. So it's a little weird that they don't identify who this person is. So the theory is, especially with her being a trained martial artist, that why would you just have that person being like an extra that has lines and then not identify it? So the idea is that that character is Sabine Wren (laughs) under... Because she's gone undercover as an Imperial before. She's undercover on Moff Gideon's cruiser trying to kind of scope out the Darksaber and help out in that way. Hmm. Interesting. So I have no idea if it's true, but I just think that's a <laughs> wild theory. And so it makes I think it's fun. My take on that is I I I don't know what Katie O'Brien's background is, um, but Sabine and her family are visually Asian, and so, <laughs> um, so I don't think she would be Sabine simply because uh, other creators have also stated that 
Sabine's family has an Asian influence oh, really? in I their in their that. design. Yeah, mm-hmm. they definitely have an Asian influence incorporated into their design. So uh, um, whether it's like Indian or or um, uh, like Chinese or that that hasn't been determined yet, but that that they are definitely of an Asian influence. So I don't think Katie O'Brien would be Sabine in disguise. Although I do love the idea of of Sabine infiltrating their forces because of her imperial background. I just don't think <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. think Dave <laughs> would do that. Um, and I know some people are like, well, there aren't any Asians in Star Wars, what? and yes. I'm like, well. Well, they, there are. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. But the thing I think a lot of people need to remember is that um, the fact that the people who created Star Wars are from Earth. And so they have to draw some influence from our um, reality. And so even though Mandalorian is a, you know, quote unquote race in Star Wars, that doesn't negate the fact that there are characters who clearly have an influence that is world that is earth-based yeah i think that's great i love that i'm so with you and i think it's ridiculous that someone would say there are no asians in star wars because my (laughs) rebuttal to that would be well there are no white people in star wars either (laughs) like what are you talking about like because it's just like it is such this terrible ideal idea that well like white people are the vanilla ice cream like well that's the base of so if if we just don't want to include any race or nationality or anything just make it a white person and it's like no that is a that in itself is also like a race <laughs> and a, like an, an ethnicity but just because you're the ruling class doesn't mean it's like the vanilla flavor like like uh it's so, yeah, so it's definitely a interesting conversation, especially on Twitter, where it's just so hard to have Oof. a conversation with people Oof. about this. Um, but you know, and, and the way I stand is like I, I I would hope that the creators keep that in mind because they have stated that in the past. So, especially someone like Dave Filoni who is conscious of that stuff. So I would hope yeah. that you know, if Sabine comes into a live action scenario. Uh, hopefully you know if tia decides to do it that's you know perfectly fine because she's of that background whereas um someone like katie o'brien again i'm not sure what her background is how she identifies personally but i i would hope that again that they're conscious of that yeah well i did just look up an interview where she identifies in this interview as being ethnically ambiguous and so oh. <laughs> as an as an ethnically ambiguous american myself i appreciate that I, i'm very seen <laughs> yeah it's hard it's hard nowadays to have yeah. these kind of conversations but they're sometimes important to have you know yeah um so i don't know if the theory is true or not but i do think it is a good segue because i think especially what we've seen and what has been announced with the live action things that if you look at it in context to me it feels like that's the Soka series is going to kind of be the third part of the Dave Filoni trilogy almost. <laughs> um, and obviously he's worked on other things, but I'm, I kind of like looking at the whole arc of what Dave Filoni is doing as like the Soka story. And so Clone mm, Wars, interesting. it introduces her, shows her trainings and eventually shows her leaving the order rebels. It shows her becoming a teacher and maturing and one of the main sparks of the rebellion and she ends up discovering her master's fate and getting closure on that. And wow. she learns to let go. 
So I'm wondering what the Soka series is going to be. And I think that really leads us into my thought is it's going to be very Rebels heavy. Like I think that if Sabine does show up in live action, it's going to be there. If Ezra shows up, if Thrawn shows up again, which has already been dropped in Mandalorian, it's going to be there. And I wonder if it's going to really close out this Rebels Clone Wars arc. I would hope that the Ahsoka series, and Dave has stated this in in a recent interview as well, where he's talked about time and how, you know, the way that Star Wars has been told has been, you know, jumping around and it's not necessarily in a a chronological way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think to me, the Ahsoka series, just given the, the look of the logo, I think it's her, Ahsoka, in the before the epilogue phase. Mm. So it's her um, coming to a world where she has to be anonymous and and live in a secluded life because technically she sh- she's supposed to be dead. <laughs> um, so I think that's what that story is about. And I think this episode of the particular episode in The Mandalorian also happens before the epilogue because of some some visual cues that to me tells me that this is before she becomes the Ahsoka, you know, Gandalf the White or whatever. Um, so I think all of that is going to lead into hopefully a Rebel sequel that I would really want to be animated. So, <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully that's where it's going. And the Ahsoka series is just going to flesh out Ahsoka's story before they dive into that. Um, but if they do, f- for some reason, go into Sabine and Ezra's story in the Ahsoka series, I can tell you right now that I'm a little bit disappointed because the Ahsoka, if you have a show just named Ahsoka, you can know, you can tell that it's going to be mainly about her. Whereas I would like a rebel sequel to be more focused on Sabine and Ezra mm. or, you know, Ezra in particular, because that's their story. So I, I don't want them to be chopped liver in the Ahsoka, so in the Ahsoka mm. series. Um, but, you know, it's, everything is still too early to, to tell and, and say. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. That is fascinating yeah. because I just assumed based on the year that the Mandalorian takes place, that the Ahsoka story that we saw in live action happened afterwards. But you might be totally right. I'm thinking it through my head is it, we all assumed that the epilogue happens five years later. Right. So that would be nine ABY, which is the exact year that the Mandalorian started. But I don't know if it's ever actually been confirmed that it's five years after. I can't find where that was. I I, I do recall, yeah, I do recall the Mandalorian series being five years after Return of the Jedi. Yeah, so Mandalorian definitely is, but the epilogue. Oh, the I see. Epilogue, yeah, no, there's definitely that, no, no. So uh, that's interesting because, especially looking at pictures of Ahsoka, she's in gray robes right now. So if we are taking the, visual, the Gandalf. Yeah the Gandalf thing there's something must happen to turn her from uh mm, Ahsoka the gray to Ahsoka the white so I wonder if that is exactly what's going to happen in the Ahsoka series is she meets up with Sabine in one way or another probably on that cruiser and she becomes Ahsoka the white on the way to finding Ezra yeah or interesting or that's the whole gray white thing is not a thing 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mainly lean on it just because Dave is such a huge Lord of the Rings fan. That's the only reason I yeah. lean on <laughs> and it. And he's too. like mentioned it in interviews, and so like I, I try not to rely heavy on heavily on it. But that's the thing that I have a problem with when it comes to. I love his storytelling, but at the same time, don't withhold things for the sake of mystery, mm-hmm. especially if it's going to leave us in such an ambiguous, confused state. Um, because I feel like that's what we're in right now. We're like, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know what's going yeah. on. But at least I, I feel like in the past there have been stories where we kind of we know where this is going. We know what what this is, what place this is in time time wise. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think not only has he talked about how big of an influence Lord of the Rings is, I think he's such a thoughtful director and creator, especially visually, that it's such a striking difference that there has to be something about it. It's just like the, you know, the cold embrace of many arms kind of thing. Like, he seems too thoughtful to just, like, throw a white robe and a giant white staff onto Ahsoka and have it not mean anything, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I just... I'm I'm I'd be okay I'd be okay with some, with that, but I could just as easily see it never coming to fruition on anything, and it yeah. just being a. Uh, not everything is uh not everything has is a deep meaning. Deep, sort of yeah, not everything has deep meaning, or like <laughs> not everything was able to be followed through like they wanted to, <laughs> like uh, because they're a part of Disney, like they're it's still a company and a corporate. Not to say they can't artistically connect everything, but. Um, this is a this is a billion dollar franchise. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's. I want it to everything to have a. I don't know. I'm totally yeah. raining on this parade. It's you know. It, it, <laughs> no, that's it, fine. At, at the end of the day, it's 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 owned by the mouse. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. I just think that Ahsoka is Dave Filoni's baby, and and it's so important to Dave Filoni that if he was going to agree to be a part of a Soka series, then I think that he's going to really want to have a thoughtful touch with it. Right. Um, if he wasn't involved, then yeah, I could totally see it just being, just go it's, off the rails and do it's whatever. It's so funny because part of me loves, I love, no, not part of me, uh, all of me loves Ahsoka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But part of me wants to see Ahsoka just take a break, just take a rest. And I feel like Dave needs to... And, you know, pay, uh, not pay, uh, like, uh, adhere closer to that let go, letting go lesson that we we get so often <laughs> in Star Wars. You know, like, just just let her take a breather for the next couple. Because there's so much Ahsoka content, which, you know, in a way I'm thankful for. But at the same time, I don't want them to, you know, do so much where people are just annoyed with the constant presence of her being brought into a series that is completely about a different character. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, <laughs> you know? yeah, also I'm, I'm, this is just personal. I'm, I'm really excited by new things. So the Mandalorian, the first season was especially exciting for me because it was new and it was a new character who wasn't touching, you know, other characters we knew. And it, um, it's, it's why I've come around so much on rogue one. It's, um, at, at some point we're going to have to do new things. Yeah. And we can't recycle stuff. Even even the idea of recycling Gandalf the Grey and White into Star Wars. Like that's it's it's cool. I I really like it. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, but at, at some point we're gonna have to do a lot more net new stuff than kind of borrowing from the pools of fantasy and 
characters we already know. I, I feel like we're, and I think we're coming out of it actually, but we've, I feel like the last 15 years of, of pop culture has been sequels and remakes and uh, just everything's getting a refresh and really we're tapping hard into nostalgia right now. I, I, I hypothesize that, and if you say I hypothesize, it's just a smarter way to say, it just makes you sound <laughs> smart instead of saying I think, um, <laughs> that we are coming out of that right now as a culture and like a, a people, and we're coming, we're coming into something new, especially as we're, we're recording this episode on the brink of entering 2021 um, and leaving 20, the, uh, the teens behind. I don't know. I, I'm ready for new. I want, I want new stuff. Uh, let's play in star Wars. Let's be there, but let's make new things. I'm like, it's more of a plea than I'm not a part of it. I'm not <laughs> new and original for sure. Yeah. So you know, think like what you said, you know, not as not borrowing as much. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, some other fun things is not only does Sabine have a new do, but she painted a purgle on her shoulder, which <laughs> I, I love. Is very sweet. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I think uh, if I remember correctly, because I didn't pay much attention when I was rewatching it, because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I know this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but her helmet, if I remember correctly, has a wolf wolf design on it. Um, yeah, sort of I the, noticed. The, the, the bear design that she had before. Oh, that's cool. I noticed what I noticed that she had a new designer helmet, but I couldn't figure out what it was. So I really liked that 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 idea. Yeah, mm. it's it's a wolf, and it has blue eyes. Which yeah. you know the the wolf didn't have blue eyes. So, but the blue eyes to me symbolize Ezra. So, that's great. I like that yeah. a lot. That's really cool. Yeah, her yep. her new haircut threw me off. At, it always throws me off. I'm like, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was I, your first time I, seeing this too. Yeah. And what I really love about that that whole sequence too is that it's uh, reminiscent of season one yep. with Ezra at the tower, and I just yeah. I love that visual yep. comparison. Yeah, yep. it is really powerful. It's yeah, what it's so freaking cool. I'm the as much as I, I didn't see the Sabine and Ezra thing coming, I'm I'm pr- I'm pretty crazy about the ending with Sabine and Ahsoka. It's mm-hmm. I, I I I almost like it so much. I I don't I almost don't want the answer. I don't like I, <laughs> I I almost would be cool with never knowing what happens with all of this again. It's just it's such a beautiful ending to me, and I, I don't think all endings need finality. I, I think they just the story just needs to be done sometimes. You don't need to tie a, mm-hmm. tie a bow on it. And I think it's one of the things that makes Rebels so good is this ending. Yeah. It's, so it's good. true. I do, I do like uh, things that, you know, are kind of vague or have an open ending of sorts. But I will say that I will not, I refuse to leave this earth. <laughs> 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 I need to find out what happens with Ezra. <laughs> So like I I try to avoid anything that sounds too risky because I, I like I want to survive in order to see this story. You'll never you never skydive. I no. Love that. That's great. And going back to what you were saying about it mirroring Ezra in the beginning, I think it's really fun too because we see Ezra looking out over the the city um, from his tower as the very first shot in rebels and the first thing we see is a star destroyer hovering over the city coming mm. into frame and the city of city is obviously polluted and busted up 
And so now it's literally exactly the same thing, except for now we see rebellion ships coming over Lothal and it's clean. They've rebuilt. It looks like a weird wizard of Oz city, but (laughs) it's very lovely. There's a sea there, which I had no idea about. Yeah. Where'd that come from? Maybe yeah, I, yeah, that was great. always there. Oh, okay. I, thought, I, just I think I just missed over. it. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was a rare, very nice way to really close the loop on this series. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Holy moly. Um, also, they officially canonized Rex on Endor, which... Yep. That's funny. That was a fun little Easter egg that they've always said. There's a, there's a random old dude. <laughs> On in Return of the Jedi, fighting on on Endor, and it looks a lot like the Rex model, and so they officially canonized that, which I think is a fun touch. I think it's really, really cool. Funny. I like that. Yep. And then, last but definitely not least, is Jason Sindula. Wow, that's crazy. That, yeah, that's wild. Um, Mike, I mean, this is your first time seeing it. How do you feel? <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> I think it's cute. I also. I like that. I like the implications of what it says about um, Kanan because, you know, that's taboo in Jedi to uh, have that close of a connection to someone, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, and I think other characters recognize is a total garbage thing. It's like such, it a, it's such an antiquated rule <laughs> that's yeah. so, like, yeah, I don't know. It's so silly. So I love that. He was like, nah, f- that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he just he lo- and love is can be a part of that and I, his love and Hera's love is is awesome it's it's really it's the most successful love story of Star Wars yeah. in my opinion and I love how Avatar the Last Airbender also touched on that and it's not that you can't have attachments it's that it's just that you need to learn how to let go mm-hmm. once you have those attachments those mm-hmm. earthly attachments yeah. so like yeah I love that Kanan understood that yeah. and was willing to let himself go yeah. even though he like he loves that woman and was willing to have a life with her yeah so yeah, yeah I just I love that he was the the epitome of what a Jedi should be. Yeah. And exactly. Oh, I, I, I got emotional during it because I, you know, I have an 18 month old now. I became a father recently and it's, it is that it made me so emotional to be like, Oh my God, that is so devastating. It's, it's absolutely (laughs) devastating that he grows up that, that kind of, that, that thing strikes a a particular chord in me because one, I'm a new dad Two, I didn't, I didn't have a dad growing up. So, um, Mm. it's just, it, it's such, it was such an emotional moment, but to see Jason with Hera and the family, um, and if I was going to put a theme on this episode, which I didn't because I haven't been doing that this season and I've already used this theme, but I think it's the theme of rebels. It's the family you choose, right? Mm -hmm. And so the family you choose is, is, was the ghost crew. You know, that's it's a it's a weird family thrown together, but it's family. It's not blood. It's not you know. It's it, it's not these these things you're born into. It's the ones you choose and you make. Um, and I think that's the ghost crew. It's cool that Jason gets to grow up with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, I love that. Yeah, a fun thing I was recently thinking about too is that the ghost appears in Rise of Skywalker. So mm-hmm. that's what thirty five years later oh, or something like that. I love that moment. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> is that just like old old Hera 
or Jason. flying it or is yeah. Jason Sindula flying it? I like to think both. Yeah. Both of them were in that cockpit. And, you know, with and not to go off too much on a tangent, but with Kanan showing up as a voice in that yeah. that scene with Ray, I like to think that wherever Kanan is force wise, that he might have had some connection with Jason too during that scene. Yeah. Just just you know, like a head cannon. Like I like to think that he was there with them as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean that that brings up some interesting ideas as well because you know, it's not a hard and fast rule that you're going to be force sensitive if your father is, but it's very likely that you are force sensitive. And even if you are force sensitive, that doesn't mean you're going to be a Jedi or anything. But mm-hmm. I mean, there are possibilities with what's Jason up to during the Soka series. Is that going to play into if we think that Ezra is coming into live action mm. is the offspring of Kanan going to be in the series as well in some way i think that might be some really interesting a very interesting dynamic to play with yeah yeah if, if jason is is force sensitive like my my dream is for ezra to come back home and be the master to to jason if he chooses to you know yeah. pursue that path um but uh i guess ezra the- wouldn't know about him yeah, Ezra, oh the gosh, what a what a surprise that I would know, be. Right? Oh, so good. In my head, it exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and we didn't really touch on I mean, you, we talked about it in the breakdown, but there's the callus and Zeb. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's weird. I, Closure. I find it weird too. I mean, it's a sweet idea, but I feel I also find it very weird. I I, I I am I'm cool with like okay the Lasat like forgive and are like okay yeah but I don't know if I then would invite that it would just feel like too insulting to my ancestors then you know deceased to then invite that person who's made this mistake it feels inappropriate it feels inappropriate to me <laughs> it also feels weird to me that it's like Zeb's like I've got a surprise for you it covers his eyes for like the whole space trip to be like you didn't set you didn't genocide an entire species only most of it oh yeah 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 <laughs> but I do think it I mean the idea of it is sweet and just like when you're caught up in the emotions of seeing it I was like oh Callus is happy. <laughs> so funny. Oh I gosh. do like that Callus is a good example of someone who and I would hope that even after seeing Lerosan, that he would still continue to make up for what he did by, you know, working with the Rebel Alliance or, or the mm-hmm. New Republic or whatever it is at that point in time. So like I, I would I would like to think that he continues to do that work because he should and he has to. Um, as, as you know, anyone would in that, in that position, they would have to continue to atone for what they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Did you have any other thoughts about this before we wrap it up for one last time? Uh, Jason Sindula being human was something that I remember a lot of people were like, why is he human? Why isn't he Togruta? Uh, Togruta, the Twi'lek. And it's just like, well, I mean, I do like how in Star Wars The Clone Wars, there was that that couple, uh, Cut Laquane and Sue, Sue Laquane. Like, uh, well, I mean, Sue had a previous relationship and those were the children, um, uh, from that previous relationship, but whoever that was, they were mixed. So that was, mm-hmm. so they were part human, part uh, Twi'lek. So I like to think that, you know, genetics wise, you could come out part 
human uh predominantly twi'lek visually you know like in your design <laughs> yeah. but you could also come out human even though your mother is is twi'lek so like mm. i i always found that interesting how people were like why is he human why does he have to be this and i'm like well i mean there's it's half and half <laughs> yeah blue hair come on he's ethnically ambiguous which i appreciate <laughs> as an ethnically ambiguous american oh uh, i just wanted to say that because i remember yeah. that being a big thing on twitter at that time yeah i was looking back at the the fan reactions at the time and a lot of people were were weirded out by that but it's <laughs> i did a little bit of research on it and i can't can't confirm with any sources but the vibe seems to be as long as the parts work you can make it happen <laughs> so yeah the one thing i will say that the green hair is a bit too much yeah. i just don't know how that works genetically yeah. so <laughs> so silly. but it's star wars it's whatever yeah. Yeah, I, so. and I think from like a, a creation point of view of like the show, I think there would be more room for interpretation left if Jason was Twi'lek. You'd be like, but I think by making him human, you're just yeah. drawing a stronger connection to Kanan. Kanan, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think that's pretty much all it was. Honestly, is like okay, well, we have to make it yeah. undoubtedly Kanan's, right? <laughs> My headcanon is, like, I like that, like, Bib Fortuna doesn't look like any other Twi'leks. Like, he's, like, weirdly fleshy colored mm-hmm. and has those red eyes. So, like, my fe- my thought is, like, that he's actually half Twi'lek. And it can also go the other way where you just have, like, human colored skin, but you have the head tails as well. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I think it's just like it's just a crapshoot. Like Jason <laughs> could have had like one head tail poking out and one regular one human ear. Like, it's true. <laughs> you know, yeah, whatever works for your head can, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was that was my final thought. <laughs> Great. So for one last time, Mike, do you want to let people know how we close out these episodes yeah. with your rating scale? Yeah. To end every episode, we rate um, it, the episode, on a scale of our current most favorite thing to our current least favorite thing in Star Wars. So I'll give an example. My current most favorite thing in Star Wars is Ben telling Luke about the larger world from inside his Tatooine abode to my current least favorite thing being the Ray-Kylo romantic relationship. They should have just been buds. I don't like that there. <laughs> it goes back to this. They should just be buddies. Um, I would give this episode a just the entirety of Revenge of the Sith, which to me is a terrific ending to a series uh, a three-part mm. series. I, I really enjoyed Revenge of the Sith. I'm a big fan. I know it's maybe controversial. I, I think it, it answers enough questions and leaves enough room open for growth. Um, to me, it's a solid A. Pete, what's your scale? Great. So my favorite thing in Star Wars right now is that YouTube video of a little girl dressed as Rey at Disneyland. Uh, using her force powers to push away the baddies and then giving a hug to Ray at the mm-hmm. end. My least favorite thing right now is Ray Palpatine. Mm-hmm. 
Between those two things, I give this episode doing a podcast with my buddy Mike and meeting new friends like Jonah <laughs> Murray, which is an A+. Plus. It's, it's about the friends we made along the you way. You are so lame. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Jonah Murray, do you want to give your rating? Sure. So on a scale of Omira in Chapter 4 of The Mandalorian shooting her target and then turning his head very shockingly, but also in a, <laughs> oh my gosh, this could be my wife someday kind of way. Great. Um, to... Um, not knowing where Ahsoka is in this timeline <laughs> in the Mandalorian. Like, I just, I don't know. Keeps Dave, you up at night. Tell me answers, please. <laughs> um, and I give this episode a uh, Sanara San from, the Star from Star Wars Resistance. Like, she is my favorite character. Wow. And she just represents all the good things that I love about storytelling and i just i love her so all of that equates to an a plus wow beautiful wow guys we really did yeah it. i mean i don't i don't I, you you know where to find us at this point i don't need to shout out what we're doing so instead mike do you have any just quick final thoughts about this journey we have taken it was fine <laughs> that is <laughs> the most appropriate thing i could have ever <laughs> <laughs> wanted from you, Mike. <laughs> I mean, we'll, st we'll still be around. We'll still be around. We'll still be around. We're going to be doing some fun stuff. We're going to be playing some D&D. &D. We're going to be reviewing things as they come out kind of like we did with the mandalorian so we will be around and i just want to say that i really appreciate everyone who supported us who listened to all these episodes who got in contact with us over twitter and instagram and i do truly appreciate all the people we met jonah marie being one of the best people we have met doing this so thank you so much jonah marie and I want to shout out people like Chris and Crystal who we're doing D&D &D with and so many friends that we have made along the way. Um, that's really the reason we are still doing this, even when Star Wars gets tough, because it gives us a way to connect with our friends and people who like things. Too true. So Too true. I am very glad to have gone on this journey with all of you. So thank you. Thank you. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm so thankful that you know, you two decided to talk about Rebels because I feel like that's a part of Star Wars that doesn't get appreciated as much yeah. as often yeah. as other things. So I, I really appreciate how you took the time to focus on that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. And you've, you've, uh, you've been here. God, this is such a reciprocity circle here. Um, <laughs> you, you've covered, you know, two or three episodes when I was on maternity leave, you stepped in, you've been, you're a, uh, Kind of the uh, not even unofficial, the official third host of Rebels Rebels. Ah, so sweet. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> it's been a fun journey, guys. And again, thank you so much for going along this journey with us. Before we go, Jonah Marie, would you like to tell people where they can find you on the internet? Sure. So you can find me uh, with the handle at BlueJGuys on Twitter and on any other social media channel. Um, I might be locked up. Um, for for reasons, <laughs> <laughs> safety reasons, yeah. um, uh, you know, for Twitter nowadays. But uh, but yes, you can find me there. Nice, and uh, you know, until next time, be brave out there. And if you want to look back, go for it.
Whoa. <laughs> <laughs>